Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Howard Smith. May I invite you to turn to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, sorry, the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and I want to follow on the scripture that Ethel read to us by reading verses 12 and 13. Ephesians 6 and verses 12 and 13. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Shall we bow our heads for a moment? Heavenly Father, all about us is a world in constant change and increasing chaos. And yet we can see the forces of evil all around the world marshalling as it, were, as it was as never before. May we know and treasure your word and know and love Jesus as never before so we can remain true to you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled what I wanted to bring to you today, Quo Vardis, and that is Latin for where are you going? Where am I going? Where is the world in which we live going? Because we are now able to see things happening on a scale that we have never seen before. In addition, with modern television and phone and internet communication, events that happen anywhere in the world appear not on just the nightly news, but on the hourly news, uh, on continuous news and on breaking news. And things that are happening now are going to affect every facet of our lives. Personal life is changing. Family life is changing. The nuclear family is hardly ever talked about these days. The lives of children are dramatically changing. Working life is changing. Our world is at a state now where work almost completely dominates the lives of so many people, giving them little time for personal life or family life or relaxation. Look how education has changed from preschool to tertiary at all levels. Education is so different from what it used to be. Look how political life is changing around the world. Look at how the, uh, the emphasis 
uh, and the power of nations is changing. We have all seen in recent years massive movements of migration. Immigration around the world is uh, a major movement. A couple of years ago I was in England and I sat in a mall in Reading and watched the passing parade. There were people from just about every nation on earth going by. And it was less and less common to hear English being spoken. So much of this movement is coming from Africa, from the subcontinent, uh, and it's also coming from, of course, Southeast Asia. Religious life here and throughout the world is changing drastically. Christianity is under attack. Parts of the world uh, are now where Christians are being murdered. They are dying for their faith. There are new religions, including the Church of Satan. People are leaving Christianity in droves. And for many, God is an inconvenience. No wonder we read in Luke 18, verse 8, where it says, When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith in the earth? And so if God is dead, then faith is irrelevant. And maleness and femaleness and marriage can be anything that you want. And the Bible, after all, is only a collection of myths and fables. And as for the commandments, well, of course, they have been completely done away with. And we have a new concept of right and wrong. If you want to do something, it is right. And really, nothing else matters. And we see that reflected in the law. The time is coming when if you believe in the Bible, if you believe that God created the world in six days, you are to be pitied. You are someone of low intelligence and uneducated. You are a person of feeble mind. We've heard about it for some time, but we are now living in what we know as a global village. While the time for globalisation beginning can be debated a little bit, it certainly seems to have happened in the 19th century, around the time of major industrialisation. And that, of course, we know certainly happened in England, in Western Europe, uh, and industrialisation has progressed dramatically since that time to where we now have industrialisation occurring on a major scale. If you look at the goods you buy in any shop, 
the majority of them will have a label on them made in China. And of course this has meant vastly lower costs. To give you an example, if we take the country of Brazil, Brazil of course has a very large agricultural uh, potential. And in Brazil they are growing oranges. They are juiced and they are being placed in enormous tankers that hold millions of litres. They come 10, 11,000 kilometres across the ocean to Sydney and it can be sold for 30 cents a litre. There are orchards in the Hawkesbury district 60 kilometres west of Sydney. They cannot produce orange juice for less than 90 cents a litre. So globalisation is changing our world. Likewise, in the money market, if China or America or other large countries cough, the rest of the world almost catches cold. Today you can fly to the other side of the world in less than 12 hours. There's an interesting scripture in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 where Daniel in speaking about the end time said that many would run to and fro and knowledge would be increased. The slide that you're looking at indicates that massive numbers of people are running and yes, flying to and fro. Recently, with a strong tailwind of 320 kilometres an hour, a Boeing 787 Dreamliner reached ground speeds of 1,289 kilometres an hour on a routine passenger flight. That's one and a half times the speed of sound from a modern passenger plane. If we're on one of those, we could fly from Sydney to Brisbane in about 45 minutes. Just imagine the time it takes by road. In 2018, it was estimated that there were 1.42... Sorry, I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, in May 2017, it was estimated that there were at any one time 9,700 planes in the air. And of course, it meant that in carrying people, there were 1.2 million people in the air. Not on the ground, 1.2 million people in the air. In June of 2018, there was a record when there were 202,000 flights that took off on that day. We live in a dramatically changing world. In talking about travel to and fro, 
In 2018, it was estimated that there were 1.42 billion cars in the world. 1.42 billion cars. 37 million motorbikes and 363 million commercial vehicles. We live in a dramatically changing world. And it's changing in so many ways. In August 1991, a coup against Mikhail Gorbachev of Russia diminished his power and democratic forces came to the forefront in Soviet Russia. In November 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. I didn't realise that the Berlin Wall was 155 kilometres long. But virtually German people started to break that wall down. And in 1989, on November the 9th, the spokesman for the East Berlin Communist Party announced that citizens from the German Democratic Republic were free to cross the border and to go into West Germany, where they're able to meet with their families and their friends. On that day, two million people crossed where the Berlin Wall was to end what was thought of and known as then as German communism. In the 30 years since that time, there has been a dramatic resurgence of the left all around the world, including our own country. And that is demonstrated in so many ways right across the spectrum of life. I can recall in my 40 years of teaching that there was increasing pressure upon me to join a union. And that has happened to countless people. That was in a state school. And now we can see that the whole union movement around the world is changing and growing. For instance, we see things taking over in our education system that are so pervasive. They are from preschool and kindergarten through primary school, secondary school and universities to the major universities of our country. We even have right and left wings in the church. We have a central aisle and some of you are sitting on the left of it and some of you are sitting on the right of it. But it depends on your perspective whether you're looking from where I am or whether you're looking from the back of the church. But we live in a world that is moving. If you'd like to come with me in your Bibles quickly to Matthew 25, to a very brief 
and interesting scripture. And I will leave you to draw your own conclusions from it. Matthew 25 and verse 31. It's talking about end times. And in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall he say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, from the foundation of the world. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you will find out what happened to those who were on his left. When I began teaching, I found out very early that bullying was very much an intricate part of school life. And that was in secondary schools. And I also found out that virtually nothing was done about bullying. When we came back from Canada and I was teaching in Western Sydney, we actually had a situation of bullying which was horrific. In the end, I followed a student home, who walked home, who was the major culprit in the bullying. And at a distance, I watched him. I followed him home, and then when he got home, I spoke to his parents. This was the culmination of a whole succession of bullying. And I said to his parents that if he did not stop I was going to report it to the police. That actually happened and the case went to court and the parents went to court. And interestingly enough, the bullying stopped completely. It's interesting we talk about bullying in schools, but nothing seems to be done. There are no programs for bullying of adults in public life, in business and commerce, and yes, even in politics. In the year 2010, a safe schools program was commenced. This was a program initially designed to deal with bullying, but then it took on a much broader perspective its stated aims are that it is to help school staff create a more inclusive environment for same-sex attracted, for intersex, if you know what that means, for gender-diverse students, 
for school staff and families. Mind you, all you had to do was be slightly different, especially in high school, and you became a potential target for bullying. But then this program grew. It was initially designed for year seven and eight students, but it has been spread to other areas of the education system, including primary schools and infant schools. And it has been designed for what we know as LGBTI people, if you know what those represent. There are now two new areas added to that. There is Q, for people who are questioning what they are. And there is a new category of D, which stands for digisexuals. The thing that is of so much interest is that the way this program is being implemented and you can have enthusiastic teachers who will inform a five-year-old in kindergarten, let's say, for instance, it's a boy, and he can be told that on Tuesday he can be a boy. He can come dressed as a boy, he can play with the boys, he can eat lunch with the boys, he can go to the boys' washroom and do everything with the boys. But he is then told that on Wednesday, if he likes, he can come as a girl. He can dress as a girl, he can play with the girls, he can eat with the girls, he can go to the girls' washroom, and perhaps on Friday, if he feels like it, he can decide to become a boy again. I leave it to you to draw your own conclusions as to what that does to the mind and the thinking of a young child. Let me just mention briefly the advance to digisexuals. In the Daily Star in the United Kingdom, research by MacArthur and Twist, an interesting name, um, looked at other categories of people who may be facing discrimination. And there is now a new type of relationship that humans can have with human-like robots. These robots look like humans, they're able to speak, and they're able to reason. And this, of course, uh, is even more than that because there are now movements about the rights even of robots. It would seem that this revolution knows no bounds. For this same movement is also agitating for the acceptance of pedophilia and bestiality 
to become the norm of people's expression. It makes me think of Genesis 6 and chapter 5, words that will be familiar to you. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts and intents of his heart was only evil continually. And in verse 5 it says, And God was sorry, he repented, that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to the heart. There is also possibilities the digisexuals will soon start to agitate for equality and recognition for the rights of robots to be given status before the law. I don't know whether you saw a recent news clip that said that children are now starting to sue their parents because they had been born without their consent. What more can we expect from allegedly highly intelligent people? The name Celine Dion may be familiar to some of you. A French-Canadian lady who is a singer who sang from her very early years. She was one of 14 children and music was part of their whole family from the very beginning. And she started singing at a very early age. She married, she had three sons, a son who's about 18 and she has twins who are about seven and eight. And she has recently start, started a clothing line. She cannot give any particular reason as to why she started this clothing line. The idea just came to her. And of course she's able to do it because she performs in Las Vegas 70 times in a year for half a million dollars a performance. Her estimated wealth is about 330 million. And when you are in that situation, you can do some quite big things. So she came up with this line of children's clothing. And if you notice something about it, it's typically black and white. If you look at the, the baby in the middle, it has horns. If you look at the, the closer colouring, especially of the ones on the right, you see skull and crossbones. You will see the eye. These are all aspects of satanic worship, even the five-pointed star. And this line of clothing is so that children, mind you, I don't know about the very young ones, how much they would have to say in the choice of the clothing we saw them in, 
This is so children can express their individuality. And so it can start very young. Come with me back a little bit as we were in Matthew to the 24th chapter. And there is a fascinating scripture. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem with his disciples. And his disciples asked him a question. And they said to him in chapter 24... Jesus had been talking about the temple and said that there wouldn't be one stone left on another and so on. And then the disciples in verse 3 said to him, Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so Jesus answered their question. And if you were to scroll down through those remaining verses of Matthew 24, he tells them that um, there'd be signs that would be reminding them of events leading up to the second coming of Jesus. There would be false Christs. In verse 6, there would be wars and rumours of wars, but all these would have to take place. Currently, if you have a look, there are something like 23 Wars currently taking place around our world. And that is less than there have been. Verse 7, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. What about the famine in our own country? Some places haven't had rain for six and seven years. Earthquakes. Look at New Zealand. Verse 8 says, all these are but the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of trouble. Verse 10 says that many will fall away, many will go cold. And in verse 13, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And then verse 14 is a very fascinating verse and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come shortly after the crucifixion and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the beginning and the growth of the early Christian church the gospel is being preached all around the world in nearly every nation and kindred and tongue and people in our world. Do we know when that verse is going to be fulfilled? The Bible makes it clear that no one will know. Because a little bit further over in your Bibles, if you want to turn to it, in Mark 13 and verse 32 is an interesting and powerful scripture. Talks in the previous verses about events happening. And then it says, 
heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my words shall not pass away. But of that day, speaking of course of the day of the coming of Jesus, and that hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. God the Father is the only one who knows the day and the hour when Jesus is going to return. It's interesting that throughout Scripture, God has given to his people one of the most wonderful gifts that he could, and that is the gift of prophecy. Because when we read prophecy, as we do, when we see prophecy being fulfilled, this is a wonderful assurance that the God who created our world knows what's happening and when it's happening. And we can be certain as we see those prophecies fulfilling. Come with me, if you would, to the second chapter of Daniel for just a brief look. The time is about 600 BC. Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon, and he had a series of dreams that troubled him. And he wanted those dreams to be interpreted. His wise men couldn't interpret them. And in fact, he decreed that if they didn't, that he would put them to death. Daniel, as we know, was in the king's household. And it's interesting that in verse 28 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel wanted to contact the king because his dreams could not be interpreted. But in verse 28, Daniel said, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions upon thy head and upon thy bed are these. And you can see them on the screen before you. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar was given gave an outline of the major nations that would rule on earth, going from his kingdom of Babylon, the head of gold. Uh, and it's fascinating that there is a timeline associated with this. While the, the kingdom of Babylon reigned, 605 to 539 BC, and you can see the dates. And then Medo-Persia became dominant. Then to Greece, and then to Rome. And we can, we can think of the, the period of Roman rule. 168 to 476 AD. And then in the the image which was so understandable by people, the, the legs and the feet of a mix of iron and clay, 
And that was going to include the period of Papal Rome and when, of course, that broke down to the modern nations of Europe, which, as the feet of iron and clay made so clear, would never come together. The recent developments in England and the uh, European economic community are interesting because they have a place in this prophecy. If you notice at the very bottom of that screen, it says 476 AD to the second coming. That begs the question, where are we today? We are down in the feet of the image. History demonstrates the accuracy and the truthfulness of that prophecy because those nations have come and gone. We are now living in the feet of the image. In verse 43, it reads, And where is thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms. For it, the kingdom of God, will stand forever. The next major event in human history will be when the life of humans on our earth is going to be changed dramatically and forever when Jesus returns. I have only mentioned to you two or three examples of major changes that are beginning in our world. They will continue. They will increase in size and intensity. And we will see prophecy being fulfilled when we watch the news at night. As we sang at the beginning of our service, we are living in a grand and awful time. The patriarchs of old, Noah and Adam and Moses and Enoch and Abraham, would give their eye teeth to be living now when you and I are living. To see the fulfilment of prophecies that they were given and to know that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is going to come back. I wonder what Jesus means to you today.
And I wonder what he means to me. Do we really know him or do we just know about him? Do we know him personally? Do we believe in him? Do we trust him? Do we read his letters? Do we talk to him? Do we believe that he died on the cross for your sins and for mine? And that as a result of that, we have his promise and assurance of eternal life. Do you love him? Is he the centre and the focus of your life here and now and of your plans for the future? I trust that to know him and to love him will be your experience and mine, not only today, but in the days to come. This message was made available by the Barrel Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit barreladventist.church. But sorrow 
Fountainview Academy sang, Do You Know My Jesus? Coming up next, Clearly Hymns will be singing, We Need to Know. Why we're here, help us out. 
Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story has an unusual title. When he dies, it comes. And the story is based on Genesis chapter 5, Hebrews in the New Testament chapter 11 and the 14th verse of Jude. This is a story of numbers. Once upon a time, so long ago there were no calendars to mark off the days and years. There were no borders for countries, for there were no separate nations. Everything was fresh and new and wonderful. It was so long ago that people then lived for nearly 1,000 years and never thought of getting married until they were as old as people nowadays who we regard as very old when they go to their long rest. We cannot tell if those people in ancient times had any of the things we call in our time by that impressive name, technology. They did not have books, for they remembered everything they heard and that was said and done. So why record anything when it could be recalled in a moment. The people then were nearly twice as tall as people are now, and everything else was much bigger too. Imagine a baby, 10 kilos when born, but that wouldn't have bothered mothers, for they would have towered over the tallest basketball player on any team today. And the trees, wow, the giant redwoods of California would not have surprised them for everything then was great and grand and glorious. We would think that the giant people of those ancient times should have names to match. Well, some did, but many had quite short names. Our first parents, for example, Adam and Eve, would not have needed a long nameplate on their house. Their first several children too had short names, Cain, Abel and Seth. The person I want to tell you about, though, was born a little later, 557 years later, in fact, after Seth was born. Between Seth and the man I want to tell you about, whose name means the title of this story, much happened on earth. In Cain's line, for example, Jabal commenced to keep livestock and made tents to live in. His brother was very inventive, for Jubal made musical instruments, the harp and the pipe. Another of Cain's descendants, Tubal Cain, was a craftsman in bronze and iron. And how much is involved in that? Seth's descendants were, in a way, even more interesting, for it was through that line that Jesus Christ came into the world thousands of years later. The first person in Seth's line of note was Enoch, born when Adam was 622. And 365 years later, Enoch was translated to heaven without dying, one of only two people with Elijah to enjoy that amazing experience. 300 years before Enoch left this world, he had a son who knew Adam for 243 years before Adam died. The interesting thing about that yet unnamed man 
is that he lived during the first 600 years of Noah's life. That means that he was able to tell Noah everything that Adam had told him about life on this earth and what he himself knew during the 369 years of his life before Noah was born. Just as interesting is the fact that Noah lived on until Abraham was 58 years of age. So if their paths crossed during those years, what a story Noah could have told Abraham. When we read about the men in the patriarchal age, as it was known, we may not know if certain people's lives overlapped and therefore what knowledge and information could have been passed on through the generations. It may surprise some to know that although Abraham was 100, 100 years of age when Isaac was born, he did not die until 15 years after Jacob was born, living quite closely in proximity to Isaac's tents. Another surprise to some may be the fact that Shem, one of Noah's sons, who survived with their family in the ark during the Great Flood, outlived Abraham by 35 years. We know virtually nothing about a man by the name of Peleg, except that he was a grandson of Shem and whose death was the first recorded in the Bible after the Great Flood. Abraham was 48 years old when Peleg died. The key point of this story is the connection that Noah had through Methuselah with Adam who spoke with God before being banished from Eden. God also spoke to Noah in that early era of the world when he chose to give his messages directly to key people. Yes, this story is about Methuselah, the link between Adam and Noah, who undoubtedly would have helped his grandson build that grand vessel that withstood the greatest storm this world has ever experienced. Methuselah, the longest living human being, survived 969 years, 12 times the average lifespan of the current generation in the most favoured areas of the present world. What a story Methuselah could tell. Now I have a, a brief quiz for you. Did Adam live for longer than Methuselah? What does Methuselah's name mean? Did Methuselah invent the calendar? What happened in the year Methuselah died? And who was Methuselah's father? You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.